Welcome to Food for Thought, our newly rebranded and rebooted podcast series. We are super excited to be back with more great content for you, and we will be having all the usual suspects back to talk about topics that matter to your health, your well-being, and your ability to bring your best self to whatever role it is that you do as part of the CAF. It's a new year, and let's hope that things start looking up a bit after the last couple of years. We've all pretty much reached the ends of our tethers when it comes to living through a pandemic, but there's no real definitive end in sight, so I guess we better make sure that we do whatever it takes to help us stay positive, healthy, and motivated to keep on fighting that proverbial good fight. So to get this season started, it seemed fitting to go where a lot of people invariably go, and that is with a new desire to get on or back on the fitness bandwagon. Maybe you're still going strong because you've realized that not only is staying physically active good for your health, that is, it keeps you strong and fit, but that there's lots of mental benefits that come from sticking to a consistent routine as well. I'm happy to have Heather Garo Miller joining me again today, and I think that as our resident kinesiologist and lifelong lover of being active in many different ways, she is in the perfect position to guide us through the topic of injury reduction. Hi, Heather. Welcome back. Hello, Carissa. It's interesting that you call me a lifelong lover of being active because while yes, I do love to move and I have since the day that we met many moons ago, that wasn't always true for me. I was a shy kid and a perfectionist resulting in me avoiding most activity. So for me, I just didn't try. You think as a kinesiologist, I was a jock in school. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I rebelled in high school, having to take my entry-level physical education course twice because I skipped class, ashamed that I was a hopeless klutz. But I fell in love with movement when I started dancing and participating in theater arts. I found a people who accepted me for my flaws and in fact, liked me more because of it. And I found out that movement made me feel so dang good. However, these past 18 months have challenged my mental health, as I'm sure it has challenged everybody else's. And that love of movement felt like it gave way to depression, and it took some doing to get me back on track. I think the pandemic has challenged almost all of us when it came to our fitness routine, and truthfully, in so many other ways too. In some way, we all had to reinvent ourselves and our routines. Oh, absolutely. I think that that is without a doubt the case. I think that from the people that we heard who built garage gyms or set stuff up in their basement, and let's assume that maybe we haven't been as diligent as we could have been with our physical activity plan for whatever reason, couldn't get to the gym, motivation was in the tank or whatever might've been going on. And we know that there's been a lot of stuff going on for people. What now then do you think is the most important thing to reconsider when we re-embark on a training plan? That's a really great question. And I think that's something that's really important for us to consider. Simply asking ourselves, is it progressive? Is it sustainable? And does it bring me joy? Now, you might be thinking if you wear a uniform, I have no choice in what I do. Yes, for many people in uniform, you likely have to do activities that are not your first choice or maybe even your 50th choice. Regardless of how much we like our jobs, The truth is we all have aspects of our jobs that we don't like very much. For a soldier, exercise is a job task, one you either love, don't mind, or absolutely hate, but you need to do it. Approach the job task as safely as possible. Make sure you're working at a level that your body has progressively prepared for and scale up or down your activity to meet your needs during group PT. Beyond the job, Finding movement that brings you joy is vital to our longativity. Too often, we meet veterans who have, upon 
leaving the military, stop moving because their vision of active lifestyle is tied up in all the activities they hated as a soldier. Whether it is a job task or a joy of movement, progression is of the utmost importance to your injury reduction. I think that the idea of longevity is such a good one because as we age, we recognize that we're probably doing things that people probably weren't doing back in the day at Mm -hmm. our age. And so I think that that idea of doing things that are safe, that you're going to be able to continue to do long past retirement is so critical in the choices that you make. But I wonder if there are any statistics that show what the rates of injuries are among either newbies or people who were at one point active and let's for argument's sake, say fit and who for some reason, whatever that might be, stopped being active and then tried to jump right back in again. Yeah, it's a really good question, but unfortunately it's a really complex question because the answer will largely be determined on how the person's chose to begin or return to the exercise. The factors will be more indicative of injury rates than the individual. How long did they exercise in each bout? How often did they exercise? How complex was the type of exercise they chose to participate in? How did they choose to progress the volume, the load, the intensity? What was their skill building component? For example, if they chose to begin or return to exercise by starting a walking program, the risks come from length of time and intensity, but much of the risk is managed by the simplicity of the skill involved, given that the majority of us are proficient at walking. However, if someone is starting a powerlifting program, the risk of injury increases because the volume, load, and intensity, as well as the skill, will all play a role. That's not to say that if somebody is excited about trying something like powerlifting, it's off limits. It absolutely can be a great choice undertaken with the right attitude about how to progress. There is no shame in getting coaching from a fitness professional, and there is no shame in doing a 15-minute workout with a broomstick instead of an Olympic bar. Your attitude is paramount to your success. So it's pretty clear that ego is part of it, but the other piece is that it's important to not bite off more than you can chew in order that you're able to work out for more than a week or so before getting sidelined by an injury. And I think that that's the hardest thing for people to concretely accept. They have to go slow to get better. And if they go too fast, they're going to stop before they even get to start. So let's start with the assumption that the folks that are listening are not exactly new to the idea of a fitness plan. What would you say to them about the best way to start getting back to a previous fitness level or starting a new fitness routine? What would that look like? Well, I think you already said it. Attitude is paramount. Being able to humble yourself, start where you currently are, not where you once were, will be vital to return to play without injury. I love that you call it play because I think that we forget that even though we call it a workout, it's actually supposed to be fun, right? On some level, there's supposed to be a piece of it that's like fun, like play, maybe, you know, at a different level than what we do as kids. But I just, I love that. Okay, so it sounds like slow and steady is still the way to win a race. As fitness for life is definitely more of a marathon than a sprint. I know that I want to be as active as possible for as long as possible. And it's funny that they're so important to each other, a bit of the chicken and the egg, I guess. If I want to have quantity and quality of life, it's important that I am as active as possible now. If I'm as active as I can be now and am mindful of what I can and cannot do, and when I should push myself or back off, it'll increase the odds that I can have both quantity and quality of life bit of extra food for thought there with that somewhat circular reasoning, but I think I stand by it. What do you think? (laughs) 
It may be circular, but it's accurate. All activity comes with some reward and some risk. We need to weigh what is important to us, which unfortunately changes over time. I recall being in my 20s and wanting to push the boundaries to feel the adrenaline rush or have deltoids that would make other people envious. But that push comes with risk and only you can decide what you're willing to risk. As I've gotten older, my priorities have changed and I'm much more risk adverse. I still love downhill mountain biking, but now I stay on the lower risk, flowy blue and green runs. I still get to feel the wind in my hair and enjoy the sport I love, but I weigh it against what my remaining years are going to look like. I still want to be active and independent in my 70s and 80s, and it's totally possible to have that. It's doing enough to stay well while making wise choices to stay injury-free. There are these things we need to keep doing to stay independent and vital. We need to keep our heart and our lungs healthy in whatever way that we enjoy. And that will likely change over time. We also need to keep as much mobility and balance as we can as we age. For instance, if we avoid squatting because of cranky arthritic knees, which I have, or we just don't like doing them someday, that may result in difficulty getting out of bed, out of a chair, off a toilet, or picking something up that we've dropped. And when we can no longer do those things, we face losing our independence. And if you can't imagine yourself that old, well, those years go by faster than you think. So it's definitely worth considering and doing something about it while you still can. I think that that's what I love about what we do. It's that the changes that we encourage now can actually make a difference now and help to prevent poor outcomes in the future. It's in a way a lot like doing preventative maintenance on your vehicle. Take the time and put in the effort to keep things running smoothly as opposed to having to deal with costly repairs that a lot of the time could have been avoided, which in essence, I guess, is what injury reduction is all about. Absolutely. It's not something that you do just once in a while. It should be in the back of your mind at all times. When it's slippery out, what are you going to do to keep from falling? When you're lifting heavy things for work or around the house or yard, are you thinking about your form? When you are in the gym, are you thinking about your form when you're doing the exercise, but then just picking up the weight and moving it back to the rack in whatever way? That's when a lot of injuries happen, when we just aren't paying attention. Oh, the irony. And how many times have you heard that? A person's down for the count because they reached from their chair to pick up a pencil and that threw out their back. And they just literally, you know, an hour ago were at the gym and everything seemed fine. So, but that's where the problem is. There are so many times when we just do something without thinking about it or the potential consequences. And if we had taken a moment to be more in the moment, a lot of that hardship and heartache could have been avoided. I mean, I know we're not talking about mindfulness per se, but isn't mindfulness sort of at the heart of injury reduction? For sure it is. When you go to the gym with a plan, you are already being mindful as opposed to just showing up and doing whatever it is that the spirit happens to move you in that moment. When you have a plan, you make sure that it's balanced. And what I mean by that is it conditions your heart and your lungs. It has elements of balance and coordination. You strengthen your muscles. You take the rest and recovery that you need to grow from your workouts. You have some lower impact days to offset the high impact days. And you have some low intensity days to offset the high intensity days. We cannot train at the same intensity and ground impacts day after day and not expect something to give. That sounds like a lot to coordinate, and it is. Find yourself a qualified fitness professional, an exercise physiologist, 
a certified personal trainer, or a kinesiologist like myself, fitness professionals are highly underrated because everyone thinks that they can just read Muscle and Fitness Magazine and Google their way to being fitness gurus. While trying to learn more and understand more is absolutely great, it is also wise to use qualified health professionals to guide you, even if it's just to get you started on the right path. When you have a plan, you are also thinking ahead. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? Does it complement each other or am I doubling up? I can see how that would be extremely valuable. And again, I think this is where ego comes in because people think that they can, you know, just do whatever they want because they know themselves best. And, you know, they've been reading whatever those magazines are. But I know that one of the challenges that we've heard is that members often don't have a say in what they're doing. And that that's definitely a challenge because someone else is calling the shots when it comes to whatever the unit PT is for the day. So we already have to put our egos aside when we're letting somebody else tell us what what we're going to do. We need to put our egos aside when we want to find out how to be safe in the things that we want to do. How do you balance that out? How do you recommend navigating that challenge of not always being fully in control? Right. And it's a great question. So option one, if you are a unit fitness coordinator, then you could talk to somebody at FNS to help you with creating a fitness plan for your unit. They are ready and willing to do this. In addition, be respectful of the limitations of the members in your care. If you have people you know have limitations due to lower fitness level or an injury or overload because they're training for something else, respect the limits, even if they are self-declared. I know you want to save the world, make everyone in your PT session into GI Joe, but it's an unnecessary, unrealistic, And frankly, dangerous goal. Yes, motivation plays a role in fitness, but that is a complex issue. One that won't be solved by you beating down the members in your unit and shaming them into getting fit. So let's look at option two. So you are the person trying to make it through unit PT. What you need to do is try to keep yourself as active as you can, active enough to handle the workouts being thrown at you. If you know you are not advocating for yourself and ask for regressions to allow you to still participate and progress without injuring yourself and be honest and upfront about what is happening for you physically. Don't hide the fact that you tweaked your back yesterday or you overdid it in the gym and your body needs rest. It is totally possible to work out with the group and scale it to your needs that day. That's awesome. And I think though, still totally terrifying for people to take that step and make that admission, right? Because there's this belief that we're 10 feet or 20 feet tall and bulletproof. But yes, I think even when you don't have a lot of control, there are still some things that you can do to minimize your risk of injury. It just takes a little bit of an extra je ne sais quoi to be confident enough to say, Hey, listen, this is what I did. Can I, you know, adjust this exercise down? And I like the idea of the regressions because Because you had said something once about when you're leading a class, there's the modifications. What is the order that it's important to do the modifications in so people feel that it's inclusive? There was something really critical about that. I always kind of started when I was still teaching group fitness, I always started with the regressive version of an exercise because it gives people permission. This is what we're starting. If you want to take it up to the next notch, 
then absolutely. Then you could show them, you could try this if you want an extra challenge. If that's not challenging enough, you can try this. But it's sort of the baseline that everybody's starting at. And then you're adding on that progression for everybody else. It just gives more permission because if we give the hardest exercise first, everybody feels sort of intimidated by the idea that, oh, maybe I need to take a step back. But if we start with the baseline first, and I don't like to use the word easier because that feels like a judgment on people. It's just starting with a baseline exercise and then showing what that progression looks like as you advance your fitness skills. It kind of takes the pressure off. It provides more options without making you feel like if I don't do the hardest one that I can't do, it's not so much about failing. It's about now being successful and doing harder things. And that's where more of that motivation actually comes from. Honestly, I think we can learn a lot from a lot of our yoga instructors that are out there because they really do an amazing job of that. When I've been in classes, there's this permission that's always there right from the beginning of class. If you want to lay in Shavasana for the entire class, please have at it. If that's what your body is asking you for today, then honor that. And they sort of go from there. And I think that a lot of our fitness instructors and people that are leading PT could really learn a lot from that type of talk when they're teaching their classes. Absolutely. Because I mean, at the end of the day, don't we want people to feel successful? Don't we want people to feel like I did more than I thought I was capable of, as opposed to I couldn't do anything and it was a struggle and I hated every minute. I'm sure though, that that also that ability to know that if they've got a unit fitness coordinator or the the unit PT leader or whomever it is that's doing that is taking that tack, I think that they would be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. So let's imagine for a moment that you're talking to a, a single person who just wants to know the basics of a good fitness program, starting from scratch, because maybe in the past they have relied on, you know, the old bro science or men's health or muscle and fitness magazine workouts. What do you tell them? What are those key components that all good workout plans need to have? Well, I think it's a lot simpler, sort of like our whole nutrition talk about, you know, a lot of it's just common sense. It's a lot simpler than a lot of people make it. A number of years ago, I listened to a keynote address from a NASA exercise physiology researcher when I was at a physiology conference. I loved the advice he gave when it came to a similar question. He said, if I could suggest anything, it would be to do at least one hard workout one long endurance workout, one strength workout, one easy workout, and one day of rest every week. Of course, that advice is scalable to whatever fitness level you are currently at, but I love the simplicity of it. Sure, there are a million ways to arrange a program and get good results, but this is the essence of it. If you start each of those workouts with a good dynamic warm-up and make time for plenty of incidental movement throughout your day, you will be well on your way to a robust, active lifestyle. Okay. So I think what might be helpful for people is if we stick in the um, podcast tab, a little downloadable sheet that has those pieces, like a dynamic warm-up, that idea of the strength, the endurance, the easy, the rest, and, and those kinds of things. Absolutely. We can do that. Okay, yeah. perfect. So we will do that. Look for that in the podcast tab on our CAF Connection page. Is there anything else in terms of what people need to kind of keep in mind in terms of making sure that they're staying not only on track in terms of seeing progressions in their fitness on all levels, endurance, flexibility, muscular strength, but just that they're going to minimize the risk because there's no 100% guarantee that something isn't going to happen, but to minimize the risk of injury. If you're wanting to start to progress, there is a certain recipe for that too, correct? Two. It's interesting that you say that. It's two, T-O-O. Absolutely. It's the rule of twos or the Goldilocks rule, we call it. 
too little exercise, you don't see adaptations. Too much exercise, and you might get injured or struggle with motivation. Just the right amount should leave you feeling energized and seeing results. What is the right amount of training load for you? And how far should you progress to optimize your training adaptations while preventing injury? Despite all the efforts and advancements made in this field over recent times, we don't have a simple answer for those questions. The human body is amazing and it's a complex organism. We can't always predict with 100% accuracy how it will react to training loads and stresses. Which totally makes sense. So that's good to know. It's nice to be able to have that kind of synthesized into something that's practical, easy to follow, and hopefully the recipe that we put on um, the tab for you is going to provide that. Because I think that anyone who decides to embark on some new fitness plan, regardless of whether or not it's a New Year's resolution, doesn't for a moment consider that their plan could actually result in an injury that could, at best, sideline those efforts for a while, or worse, really impact their ability to do their job or even result in early release. The irony of getting hurt while doing something that is supposed to make you better is not lost on me, nor is it likely lost on our listeners. And yet I suspect that for a lot of people that again, that old ego, which has come up a lot today can really get in the way of listening to reason. So what is your advice to people who either think they know better or are stuck in that belief system of it won't happen to them? Well, it's simple. Remember to stay humble. Humility begins with accepting who we are and what makes us human. As a result of this, you can gain control over your attitude and your outlook on life. Humble people don't lack pride in their accomplishments. Rather, it's knowing the time, the place, and the tone with which to share their strengths with the world. What does it mean to live with modesty and humbleness? Saying good game to your opponent, whether you won or you lost. Being coachable and allowing criticism to fuel your development. Helping others when you have a skill set rather than looking down on them. Looking to those with more knowledge with an eye for inspiration and not jealousy and competing with yourself more so than with others so that you can be a better version of yourself than you were yesterday. These are the lessons that will serve us well at the gym and in so many other areas of our life. So great. I love that so much. Thanks, Heather, for helping to kick off the season with a bang or I don't know what's actually the sound. It's more like a clang the sound of the weights hitting the weight rack or the, <laughs> the crash as people drop their heavy bar on the ground, which always drives me insane. But I do hope though, that this has gotten our listeners motivated to either reach out for assistance with putting together a good unit fitness plan. And remember our folks over at fitness and sport are a great resource for that. Or on the other hand, to take a good long look at what they're doing, consider why they are doing that and whether that's meshing with what your longer term goals are. I think that you and I can both agree that sometimes all it takes is a little objective third party scrutiny to help us see the error of our ways. I know I need a lot of scrutiny because there's a lot of errors in my ways and we have to, like you said, be humble enough to accept that because it's honestly, it's for, it's for our best, even though it is often a hard pill to swallow. Any final words of wisdom as it comes to injury reduction and kicking off the new year on the right foot? Well, As I said in the beginning, a long life of movement means finding something that brings you joy. Keep striving for whatever that might be for you. It doesn't have to be the latest and greatest fad or the one that research shows to be the best, whatever that really means, because the one that will take you the farthest is the one that you'll keep doing. Perfect. So succinct, 
and true and wonderful. And thank you. Thank you, Heather, for that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope that you did pick up a tip or two that is not only going to get you in top shape, but help keep you there for as long as you want fitness to be a part of your life, which I think Heather and I both hope will be for the long haul, the old marathon of life as it were. So join us again next time when we tackle another topic that will hopefully provide you with a little food for thought. Until then, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip-flop.